0: Amen. Have a seat. So good to see you out there today. Listen, after last year's live stream only, we'll take anything we can get. And we, God has given us a beautiful day so you can have a nice Easter, excuse me, Good Friday service and get a suntan all at the same time. Uh, We are thankful for uh, the incredible weather. We're thankful that you're here with us. You know, usually we meet in the amphitheater, and this is overflow. We've reversed it this year. So this is the main part, and we have lots of people right over in the amphitheater enjoying this on a screen as well as a screen out there on the uh, other side of the Five Acre Park. So would you just say hello to those who are over in the amphitheater? Would you just give them your love? And let's see if we can hear the amphitheater from here. So if you're in the amphitheater, give it up. Give it up. All right. All right. Okay. So one more. One more. Way in the back there where that other screen is. If you're uh, with us, uh, let us know you're there. Awesome. Awesome. It's so good. And it's great to be with you today. Uh, This is a one-hour service because we know that a lot of people have to work after this. So we want to be faithful to our time. That's why we do it in the middle of the day. We do a one-hour service, and then you're dismissed. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you a little portion out of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, about John the Baptist. You know, whenever somebody travels from the United States and goes to another country, we tell them that they're going to have a cross-cultural experience. They're crossing boundaries. They're crossing cultures. They're going into an area that they've never experienced before with different customs, different food, different language. It's going to be very different than the culture that they experience here. So we say, I've had a cross-cultural experience. Well, truly, uh, Christianity is a cross-cultural experience. That is, we have a culture that is built on the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, It is something that we celebrate. It is something that we magnify. It is something that we are not ashamed of. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of the cross. A lot of people who are um, uninitiated, uninformed when it comes to spiritual things, especially Christianity, really doesn't understand how people can get together and get all excited and sing about somebody who died. Um, That's because they don't understand uh, what that death can do in bringing life to a person. So uh, when somebody gave an anonymous call uh, a while ago saying, something's going on at Calvary, let me tell you what's going on at Calvary. It's called life. Life is going on, and it's life based upon somebody's death for us. Almost 20 years ago, September 11th happened in New York City. Those of us who remember it, remember it well. It's etched in our memory. I had the privilege of serving at Ground Zero for three weeks uh, in that pile of rubble. And I'll never forget the day that a firefighter asked me and another buddy to come and look at something that he found in a building that had collapsed. One of the World Trade Center's buildings. And he pointed to the rubble inside, and he said, Look, I'm, 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 I was here working, pulling bodies out, um, and he had tears in his eyes. It's been a tough day, and there in the middle of the rubble, the pile of rubble, was that, and he pointed to a cross, a cross that had been formed from the twisted beams, the twisted metal from that building collapsing. And he said, Look, there in the middle of that rubble is a cross. And he goes, When I saw that, It was a sign to me. It gave me hope. And I was listening to that firefighter getting all amped about the cross that he saw at ground zero in the pile of rubble. And I was trying to figure out what is it that gave him hope in looking at a cross in the midst of a pile of rubble. And I think I understood in that moment what it was that brought him hope. He understood that the cross represents a God who understands our suffering. He knows what it is personally to suffer. And a God who understands our suffering is a God who can be trusted. Now the cross has been, for the last 2,000 years, a universal sign of Christianity. People wear crosses on their necks. People put crosses in their homes. Um, people will tattoo crosses on their arms or their legs. We, we, we put crosses in foundation stones of institutions. We uh, put crosses and fill them with rhinestones all around. And we place crosses on tombstones. So from birth to death, those of us who are in this culture the cross culture, understand that the cross is very, very meaningful. In fact, it is so central to our identity that Paul the Apostle wrote to the Corinthians and he said, I was determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. And then he wrote to the Galatians and he said, God forbid that I should glory in anything except The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, just like that firefighter who looked at that pile of rubble and saw the cross and and was filled with hope because he knew he's dealing with a God who understands suffering, I want you to know this last year has been difficult for everyone. A lot of you have suffered immensely because of it. You may have lost loved ones in the midst of it. You may have gone through deep trials. God does understand your suffering. He can be trusted because he was there with us when we needed him the most. He is a God who understands. Now, in the Gospel of John, chapter one is a story about another man by the name of John, and that is John the Baptist. Now, you've heard that name before, John the Baptist. I don't want you to think that John was a Southern Baptist preacher when we talk about John the Baptist. It's not like they had church denominations back then. He would be better called John the Baptizer. He was a very eccentric fellow who was down by the Jordan River, and people heard about him, people came to listen to him and watch him, and the author of the Gospel of John gives us a little bit of that story. It says, Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water." And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he whose baptism is with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day John, with two of his disciples, stood and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now John the Baptist was an eccentric fellow, as I mentioned, sort of an odd person. Um, He was, I guess, like an ancient hippie. Uh, who dressed weird, wore lots of leather, and ate bugs. And he lived out in the wilderness, the Bible tells us. And yet, Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, said John the Baptist was the greatest person who up to that point had ever lived. Well, that's an amazing statement, especially coming from the lips of Jesus. Think of it. John had written no book. He was not an influencer on Instagram or Twitter. He had formed no institution. He didn't even live a long life. He certainly didn't have a long ministry. And yet Jesus said he was great. In fact, not just great, but the greatest person who ever lived. Now in this short little story, John basically does two things. John the Baptist. John refers to himself and he reveals his Savior. He talks about himself, but only in passing. Um, it, he doesn't really have a message about himself. And the only reason he talks about himself is because they question him. They say, who are you? Or we need to give people an answer. Tell us your identity. So he refers to himself first negatively, then positively. First he says, this is who I am not. And then he says, this is really what I am. So he says, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. Christ is the Greek word Christos, and it refers to the Messiah. I am not the long-awaited Jewish Messiah that you all been waiting for. I'm not that one. The other person I am not is I am not the prophet Elijah. The Bible says Elijah would come before the coming of the Lord. So he says, I am not Elijah the prophet. And then he says, I am not that prophet. That prophet was a prediction from the book of Exodus chapter 18 that God would send the prophet. And so they had this idea that perhaps John was one of those three people, the Messiah, Elijah, or the prophet. He goes, nope, I'm not any of those people. But positively, I'll tell you what I am. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness." What a description! Because you see, to John, it really isn't about him. He's there to point to, to introduce people to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what he was. He was the forerunner of Christ. He was the one to make the announcement. So he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's a quote right out of Isaiah, chapter 40. So so think of this. He's saying, I am not the message, I'm just the messenger. I am not the word, I'm just the voice. I'm the mouthpiece announcing somebody else who is coming. And he said, my task is to make ready or prepare the road or the way of the Lord. So John the Baptist says, look, I'm just a divine road worker. I'm here to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, I find John's answer about who he is very revealing because, you know, John could have said, oh, you mean you don't know who I am? Don't you know that my father is Zacharias, a very famous and important priest in Jerusalem? Uh, Don't you know that I'm that kid who was filled with the Holy Spirit even while I was in the womb? Uh, Don't you know that I am the forerunner of the Messiah as predicted in the Old Testament? He goes, no, I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness, pointing the way to somebody far more important than I am. John was a voice. He was a messenger. He was, in effect, the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament preacher. And John was a miracle child. That is, uh, he had or was born of a miraculous birth. You see, his parents were quite old. Zacharias, his dad, the priest I talked about, was married to a woman named Elizabeth. They had never had children before, and they were quite elderly, so it was humanly, physically impossible for them to have children. But one day when Zacharias is out in the temple doing his ministry, an angel appears to him, not just an angel, the angel Gabriel shows up and says, you know what, Zacharias, you and your wife are going to have a son and he is going to be great in the sight of the Lord and he's going to turn the children of Israel back to their God and God is going to use him in a tremendous way. Well, Zacharias sees this and hears this And you would think for anybody with a thinking mind, that would be enough for them to be convinced. Hey, an angel shows up, gives you a message, and then disappears. But Zacharias is this kind of old, crusty guy, and he says, You know what? Um, That's good, but how do I really know it's going to happen? And so the angel says, Okay, well, you didn't believe me when I told you, when I appeared to you, I'm like an angel and you need more proof than that? How's this? You won't be able to talk for the next nine months. While your wife is pregnant, you won't be able to utter a word. Now, I'll tell you what, that would be very frustrating to any wife when her husband comes home, and she wants to talk about what happened during the day, and he doesn't say a word. Most men are quiet anyway, but he couldn't say anything. And it would be very frustrating for him to hear his wife talk all the time, and he couldn't respond. So nine months go by. And when the child is born, Zechariah said, you will call his name John. He writes it down on a tablet because he can't talk. He writes it down. Call his name John, J-O-H-N. He spells it out because that's the name the angel gave him. And then Zacharias was able to speak. Now, because Zacharias was a priest, what that meant is his son, John, should also have been a priest because he was part of the lineage, the physical lineage of the priesthood. So if you have a priest who's a father, that's what you will do. You will go into the priesthood. You are trained from that from a young age. But John was a different sort. He was unconventional. Uh, As I mentioned, he dressed weird. Uh, I'm sure that when uh, Zacharias would come home from time to time, Elizabeth would say, Honey, John's doing it again. He's wearing leather and he's out in the backyard eating bugs. What are we going to do with this guy? The Bible also tells us he was a Nazarite, which was a specific vow that one could take mentioned in the Old Testament. where uh, he didn't cut his hair. He could not be around or touch a corpse. Not that anybody would want to, but uh, he was forbidden to do that. And also he could not have anything that came from grapes. Couldn't, couldn't eat grapes, couldn't eat raisins, couldn't have wine. All of that he would abstain from as a sign of a lifelong dedication to God. So that's John the Baptist. And he refers to himself a little bit. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But really what he's all about is to reveal the Savior. And so he talks about Jesus. He talks about Jesus' person and he talks about Jesus' mission. He says, somebody is coming who is preferred before me because he was before me. And then John says, and by the way, he's the Son of God. Now that's a mouthful. Let me just quickly explain. He's preferred before me, meaning he is in higher rank than I am. He is much more important than I am. You guys are asking me about me. What you need to be doing is thinking about somebody else that I'm about to introduce to you. He is preferred before me. He's ranked above me. And then John says this, because he was before me. Now to me this is fascinating. Because John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus, they were probably cousins. We are told in the Bible that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the wife of Zacharias, uh, that they were cousins. So They were probably first cousins, which would make John the Baptist and Jesus second cousins. John was born first, Jesus was born second. So they were related to each other. But here is John saying, Jesus is actually somebody who existed before I did. And he's the son of God. So according to John the Baptist, out in the desert, he speaks of Jesus' person as pre-existing. He lived before he did. And he was indeed the son of God. Now, I'm I'm spelling this, this out for this reason. To me, it makes the authenticity of Jesus Christ by the testimony of John the Baptist much more profound. I mean, how many of you would ever say of your cousin, "Uh, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? How many of you would say of your cousin, "Uh, My cousin here is the Son of God? No, you would say, You know what? When we get together, I fight with my cousin. So for John the Baptist to say, my cousin, the one who's younger than I am, is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world, and he came before I did, is, is amazing, the Son of God. That's his mission, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Now, what do you think John the Baptist had in his mind when he said, behold, or look, or check it out? There's the Lamb of God. What do you think he had in his mind? Well, he could have had several things. Perhaps in his mind he was thinking of Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament. When Abraham walked with his son Isaac up a mountain and was about to kill his son in obedience to God before the angel stopped him and said, Don't do it. I can see that you are willing to do it. You are fully committed to God, but do not kill your son. And Abraham said... The Lord God will provide himself a lamb. Maybe he was thinking of that, that sacrifice of a father killing his only begotten son. Or perhaps in John's mind he was thinking of the Passover feast. After all, it was the time of Passover when Jesus would die, and he definitely fulfilled that. Maybe John the Baptist was thinking back to the time when the children of Israel were in Egypt. They were in the desert and uh, God delivered them and the sign of deliverance was the lamb that was slain and the blood was placed on the lintels and the doorposts of the house. Maybe John was thinking of the Passover lamb. But my guess is that when John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of of God who takes away the sin of the world, he was thinking of Isaiah chapter 53. And here's why I believe that. John had already quoted Isaiah chapter 40 when he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's a quote right out of the prophecy of Isaiah. And from the things that John speaks throughout his lifetime and in these early moments. We can tell that he was a student of the prophecy of Isaiah. And so probably he was thinking of Isaiah chapter 53, a portion of which I want to read to you now. Now, Isaiah chapter 53 is a passage in the Old Testament that rises above just about every other Old Testament prophecy of the coming of Christ. The roots of the Christian gospel are found in Isaiah chapter 53. In fact, I think it is probably the clearest declaration of the meaning of sacrifice and atonement found in all of the Bible. I think it's an even greater and clearer depiction than the book of Romans itself. Isaiah 53 is is an amazing passage. It was written 600 years before Jesus was born. And Isaiah 53 is a sad song, a painful song of a suffering servant. In verse 1 of Isaiah 53, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth. That's a prophecy, a very clear prophecy of the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come as the Lamb of God, as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You know, sheep are interesting creatures. They get dirty very easily. Uh, they, They grow wool. And uh, they exude this kind of waxy, oily film called lanolin, and it clogs up all the pores. And one of the happiest days in a little lamb's life is when uh, an owner picks it up and cuts all the hair off. When, it, when it's shorn, when he shears off all of the wool, th- that lamb loves it. And he's used to somebody picking it up and handling it and, and taking off its coat and feeding it and taking care of it. So much so that later on when somebody picks it up to kill it, didn't say anything. Because he's, he's always been handled with care. So that's why Isaiah said, as a lamb, as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I think that's what John the Baptist had in mind when he saw his cousin come down and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. But you know what the problem was? The Jewish people of that time were not looking for a lamb. They were looking for a king. They wanted a conqueror. They wanted somebody to say, Behold the king. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Not behold a lamb, because a lamb at best is weak. A lamb at worst is dead. That's what you sacrifice with, a lamb. You kill lambs on the altar in Jerusalem. And the Jews were not looking for a lamb. They were looking for Lambo. They were looking for a conqueror, a king, a warrior because they didn't understand they needed a lamb. They needed somebody who would take away their sin. And because they didn't know they needed it, they were not looking for it. What they wanted was a sovereign. God gave them a substitute. What they wanted was a conqueror. God gave them a lamb. What they wanted is somebody to to come and kill all their enemies. What they got is somebody whose enemies would kill him. Weak seemingly. Doesn't say a word. Offers himself willingly for death. But what they needed to know is they could never have a king until they first had a lamb. The lamb must come first. And that is what the Scripture always promised from way back in Genesis chapter 3, the very first prophecy of the coming of Christ when Adam and Eve fell in the garden and God said, there is coming somebody called the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of Satan. He's going to crush the skull of the devil. And the reason Good Friday is so good to us, and by the way, if you are wondering what the the meaning of this strange motif they have at Calvary of a skull and a snake crawling out of it? Um, You need to read your Bible a little bit more. Because here it is. At the place of the skull, which is what Calvary is. Calvary means a skull. Golgotha, that's where Jesus died. At the place of a skull, the skull of Satan was crushed. And sin was dealt with, just like the prophets predicted, because here's the big deal. Here's the main thing. Sin, which infects everybody, kills. Sin is 100% fatal. It is far worse than any coronavirus. It is 100% fatal. But the blood of Jesus Christ is the vaccine. And what we are about to take in a moment, these elements, that, that's symbolic, that we have taken the vaccine. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses a person from all sin. And by the way, it's a lot better um, efficacy than Pfizer or Moderna. They're like 94%, 97%. The blood of Jesus Christ is 100% effective. It can cleanse you from all your sin. That's why we make a big deal out of this day. It's not even Good Friday. It's Great Friday because God did such a great thing and we believe Jesus to be such a great Savior. And so John said, look, behold, that's the Lamb of God who will be able to take away the sin of the world. And I Hope and pray He's taken away your sin. If you've never trusted Him personally, now's the time for you to do it. Now is not the time for you to just attend a religious service and go home. Now's the time to get serious with God who loves you and take the vaccine, the blood of Jesus Christ, to your own life, to your own heart. And say to Him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I admit it. I place my trust in Jesus. I believe He died on the cross, that He shed His blood for my sin and rose again from the grave. And so I turn from my sin. I repent of it. And I turn to Jesus as Savior and as Lord. Fill me with Your Spirit. Help me to live a life pleasing to You. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you email us at mystory@calvarynm.church at and just a reminder you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church/give thank you for joining us for this teaching from calvary church